even when I'm down. Got my head in the clouds and my feet on the ground. I got big dreams. Yes, we've got big dreams here at the Genius Lab, and we are so excited today. You know, you guys, I'm always by myself in the studio, right? So I sit here and I think of things that you might be interested in and, and you know, make my questions to myself. And, and then I talk to you and you probably get bored of hearing just me. So today we have a major treat. I have got Dr. Janelle Royster here in the, in the Genius Lab. Janelle, thank Dr. Royster, thank you so much. She's almost Dr. Dr. Royster, okay? So, so my friend, you guys know I trained with Maladoma Somme in, in my uh, Africa work. And when he went to Germany, see, Maladoma has two PhDs. So when they found out he had two PhDs, when they introduced him, they introduced him as Dr. Dr. Somme because he had two PhDs. Now, Dr. Royster will very soon be Dr. Dr. Royster because she, you know, one is not enough. You must have more PhDs. So thank you so much for being in the Genius Lab. It's an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So can you give our, our, our listening audience like just kind of like like what do you do and, and how did you get mixed up with this crazy guy, Dan, from 220 and Nick and all those nutty and me, uh, all of us nutty people? Well, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm an Air Force veteran. and I, Thank you for your service. Thank you. And I... Pursued my education in business because I thought I was going to be, I was a division manager for an auto parts store and I wanted to do business. And then I took a philosophy course and he told me to think outside the box. And I thought that was pretty profound. So what I did is I started focusing on the philosophy and I ended up with a an associate's a nonprofit organization. Then I went on to get a bachelor's in psychology. I got a master's and a doctorate in industrial organizational psychology because you could mix both together. And then I pursued mental health counseling. I suffered with uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I was diagnosed a little later in life. And then I decided that I could do a better job than a lot of my therapists (laughs) (laughs) because they pretty much told me to watch a five-minute video and that I'd be okay. It didn't work. So I tried. I got certified. Once I finished my um, master's in mental health counseling, I got certified in all kinds of behavioral therapies, existential therapy. I mean, you name it. Hypnotherapy, I got certified. I found every training (laughs) I could find wherever I could find it, and it just didn't work. And what, how I got connected to Dan is uh, I had a buddy of mine that I went to um, my master's through. I went to school with him. And uh, he would drag me around. He dragged me around to the hypnotherapy stuff. He dragged me around to all different trainings. And he took the training in Tallahassee uh, that is a, neuro- a form of neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. And he took it with Dan, and he said, well, you're a veteran. They'll sponsor you to go take this training. Go take it in New York in January, in the freezing cold, Oh, in that's Manhattan. like way too cold. They and I was like, well. in January. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I was like, well, like, you know, he, he just, he praised it endlessly. So he's like, you know, it, they'll sponsor you. You take this training. It's profound. It'll, it's one thing that will help you because he knew I was challenged with post-traumatic stress disorder to the ninth level. So I went up to, 
I went up to New York. We went to the Cooney Building, and I and I got trained in this this variation of NLP, and it was pretty profound. I felt a paradigm shift, okay. and I just went guns blazing. Like January tenth, <laughs> I got home, and I I think I worked with about a hundred people in about three months. Holy smokes! <laughs> so, I found everybody I could find. To date, I'm sitting with uh, I think I've worked with 182 people, adults. Wow. And forty-five children. Wow! What what age children? Uh, the youngest I've ever worked with is a four-year-old. Wow! So what's really cool about this process is they don't have to share the information of the story, okay. which we found to be pretty profound. And it's honestly, it's individual slash client-centered. So these individuals can they can vary it to whatever they're comfortable because you want them to feel safe. Okay. So the so in- so this isn't like like I have friends that that are in the VA and they go in and they do this like this therapy where they bring themselves into the place where they're watching their friend be killed in front of them and then they move their eyes in a funny way and then and then they go okay now you don't feel it anymore right it doesn't seem to work very well because these guys have been doing it for years and granted they haven't killed themselves yet but they're still pretty messed up. So this is something different than that, and, and it, you remain calm through the process. Right. So the, what's really cool about the tactical resiliency process is, one, you don't share content, so you don't jump down that rabbit hole. Okay. All you do is you think about an event, and you ask them, you start this conversation. So you're like, on a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is no negative emotion at all, and 10 is extremely intense, do you have anything that's higher than a five? Because you really want, as as the individual who's doing the process to the other person, you want to make sure that they have the biggest, baddest traumatic event they have. Okay. And it doesn't have to be veterans. It doesn't have to be, you know, the police or the firefighter. It could be anybody. You know, civilians see things all the time that cause traumatic events. Mm-hmm. It's just how the brain um, processes the event. So... Just to get a little bit about the brain stuff, you have an event and the feelings are attached. So if you and I were standing there and, you know, we're out on eight mile or whatever, mm-hmm. and there's there's a car accident that occurs okay. and two two cars collide, you're going to react much differently than I am. Okay. Because I, you know, I was first, I'm certified in, you know, BLS and, you know, all this different stuff. So I would react and find out if everybody's okay. I'd probably have, that's why when you do CPR, you say, you know, you ask the person, are you okay? And if they can't respond, you ask the individual standing there to call 911. Because one, it keeps them busy and they're less, it's less likely that they'll be traumatized because okay. th- their mind yeah, is Yeah, I would be the guy calling 911 because <laughs> if I saw blood, I would just pass out and then you'd have another injury right. on your hand. Well, I, as a veteran <laughs> in the Air Force, I was a surgical technician, so blood doesn't bother me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I took out a lot of bullets overseas. So. <laughs> that just creeps me out thinking about it. <laughs> But when you have a reaction like that, what happens is is your amygdala, which is a little tiny walnut shape behind your ears on both sides, both okay. hemispheres of the brain. And what it does is if you have an event that happens and there's feelings attached, there's emotion, negative emotions attached to that, it sits in the amygdala and it just ruminates. So it, it presents itself in flashbacks, nightmares, and intrusive thoughts. And that's where post-traumatic stress comes into play. Okay. 
So when you have those events and it just sits there, what happens is the brain works really, really hard trying desperately to process that information. And it doesn't have this tool. Well, once we give it this tool for the biggest trauma, so if you have a trauma that's a 10, you have another one that's like a 7, and another one that's like a 5, if you work through the 10, the 7 and the 5 will heal themselves. Oh, wow. Okay. So what happens is the once you process the negative emotion and you separate it using this process, the emotions go to the hippocampal region in the brain by your brainstem, and then the event actually goes in a long-term memory. And the neurotransmitters in the brain, which are kind of like the highways, okay. they'll take them to those destinations they can never meet again. Okay, when I got certified in, in, in TRP, I mean, I, I loved it. I didn't know all this technical jargon of how it actually worked. What I knew was people were really messed up when we started, and when I ran the process, they weren't anymore. This is really cool to to learn more. And you probably you probably talked about this in the training, but I have a tendency to get distracted by shiny things around, and and so I I I appreciate hearing it again, to where it makes a little more sense. And I know the the listeners will appreciate it as well. Um, you know, Dan Dan Tots talks at nauseum about post traumatic stress, right? <laughs> yes. And, and the thing I love about Dan, okay, so Dan was in the army. He was a drill sergeant. And he was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Now, there's actually some controversy now about post-traumatic stress disorder as a psychological disorder, or is it a neurological condition, right? Right. Okay. What's your take on that? <laughs> okay. So the... The Diagnostic Statistic Manual, the DSM-5, is what we use to diagnose individuals who come to see us for mental health counseling. So what we do in order to bill the insurance, we have to have a diagnosis. Okay. So hypothetically, same, same event, this car accident. Now you have trauma, right? You have okay. an event that you have feelings attached to because you're horrified. You feel helpless and I saw blood. fear. And, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> So when you have that, what happens is day one to day 30, according to the DSM-5, you have acute stress disorder. On day 31, it then becomes post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, acute meaning in present time. Okay, got it. I never right. knew that. <clears throat> so on day 31, it becomes post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, the problem is, is the psychiatrists and the brilliant brainiacs behind the DSM-5 have realized that PTSD is a neurological thing because as fast as it's onset, once you work through the process, it's eliminated. It's not like a major mental health disorder like okay. bipolar or major depression, which has these long-term, you have to have onset of symptoms for six, eight months, two years, you know, cyclothymia, things like that that you have to have these symptoms for a significant period of time, and there's no quick fix okay. for those mental health disorders. Got it. Whereas post-traumatic stress, it's got an onset of 31 days, and then when we run you through the process, you don't have it anymore. Got it. So because it's a neurological process as opposed to a psychological process, they're actually calling it an injury. Okay. 
So Dan's Dan's kind of a crazy dude, and so he decided, well, I don't want to be labeled with post traumatic stress disorder. So he goes back to his psychiatrist at the at the VA, who gave him the diagnosis and said, I want this taken off my record. And the guy looks at him and he says, he says, I can't take this off your record. He said, Why not? I don't have it anymore. And the guy looks him right in the eye and he says, You cannot cure post traumatic stress. You can stress disorder. You can only treat it with drugs and therapy, period. And then kicked Dan out of the office. Right. He tried <laughs> so, to get reevaluated and yeah. they kind of told him no. Yeah. Yeah. So the so the the thing that's cool about this TRP is that it it can actually it, do we say that it can cure post-traumatic stress or do we say that it can eliminate the symptoms of post-traumatic stress? Because I know that there's claiming there and there's some weird legal issues. What, well, I mean, if you, you think? think about it, if, if you're playing tennis and you have, you know, you break your elbow, hypothetically, you yeah. just hit the racket too hard and your elbow busts, it's an injury. Right. So because post-traumatic stress is an injury, not a disorder, it's not about curing. Okay. It's about healing, healing. Got and it. separating the negative emotion from the event. It it heals the the symptoms of post traumatic stress. Wonderful. Okay. Cool. Well, well, can you tell us some of your success stories? <laughs> I know you've you've worked. Well, you helped help develop. You did develop TRP. I, I did. Okay. <laughs> so you're like the queen of TRP. Yeah. Uh, Dan and I worked this out. Um, what we did is. Uh, when I received this training, I kind of just, uh, I started talking to Dan on Facebook. You know, I needed a, a code to put in to get this training. And then we just started talking and, and I just hung on to his cape ever since then. Okay. So <laughs> he's a pretty amazing individual. Uh, yeah, we worked this process together. Basically, um, as a mental health counselor, a lot of people, what happens is, and just to give you a little backstory, when you go to your face-to-face, because -face, I, I went to school online and I had to do two separate face-to-face, -face, what we call colloquias, and we work with a professor in a, in a classroom environment face-to-face -face for um, six days, I think it's 48 hours of actual class time. And during that process, what we do is we find a therapeutic modality that resonates with us. Okay. The challenge that I find when something resonates with me and I start working with you, it may not resonate with you. Okay. So what we've learned throughout this process is we've had this, you know, this NLP modality, I should say, or protocol, whatever you want to call it. And it wasn't working for everyone. It wasn't uniform. Like it was a script. You read lines one through 89. There's no variance. So this is not TRP. Anything. This is something else. This is something else. Got it. Right? Okay. Got it. So it's a process that does visual imagery, kinesthetic dissociation. So it's similar. But it's not. Yeah. Got it. It's similar, but it, it it's not the same. Got it. And what's cool about this is you don't have to read 89 lines. You only read 33 lines. This and ours is a TRP. process. Right. Got it. Okay. And what's cool about the process is the fact that you, it's not regimented. You can gear toward the client. You focus on what their needs are in the moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, with mental health counseling, a lot of therapists are like, well, I, you know, mine was rapid emotive behavioral therapy. So that was my go-to. I always worked on disputing irrational beliefs and in changing language, which I still highly encourage and uh -huh. I still love to do. You know, so like some people are, I, I must do this. I have to do this. Oh, got it. Do yeah. you, though? 
Is it a choice? And then global presuppositions. Everybody and always. Everybody always. always, Those finite language. Okay, I got you. So I'm working on writing a book about it, actually. Oh, sweet. (laughs) So it's going to be called Change Your Language, Change Your Life, but I'm not done with it yet. Oh, that's funny. In my sound therapy, my tagline since the early 90s has been Change Your Rhythm, Change Your Life. That's awesome. (laughs) I didn't even know that. That's great. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So with this process, like I said, the, the, a lot of processes are very regimented. You have to do it a certain way. And, uh, I've noticed that in my own thousands and thousands of dollars I've spent in therapy, (laughs) I've learned that, uh, a lot of people, they go with what they know, not necessarily gearing toward the client, learning what the client needs. So whatever the counselor or therapist knows, that's their go-to. Yes. Not necessarily matching up with what the client needs. Exactly. And that's why a lot of people are like, oh, I I went to therapy, but I don't really like it. It's because it doesn't have anything to do with you. Got it. So what I wanted to do is kind of format something where it's more, it's geared toward the individual. What do you need? Tell Mm -hmm. me what you're looking for. Tell me what you want to do. But what's cool about this is I I just, in my (laughs) vast experience, I worked in acute care psychiatric facility. So I worked in an inpatient hospital. It's kind of like a revolving door. They'd come in and leave within two or three months of being there. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I worked with um, residential facilities, uh, which is basically where the kids go when the parents, you know, they just become overwhelmed and too much and they're Mm -hmm. diagnosed with serious mental health disorders or they have a lot of suicidal ideation and the parents just don't trust them by themselves. So they put them in these, you know, residential facilities. I worked at a couple of those. I worked at one, I was a supervisor for um, what we would call, it was kind of like a house all by itself and it had 12 boys with autism in it. Oh, wow. Teenagers who had suicidal ideation and major mental health issues, but uh-huh. they, they had autism, so they had a hard time communicating. Okay. And then uh, I worked in an outpatient uh, therapy setting with a, a pretty amazing psychologist and it was outside of Chicago. And uh, I worked with human traffic survivors. Oh, wow. And then I moved down to Virginia and I worked in uh, community service boards. I've worked in community mental health with intensive home, outpatient therapy, all that. So a lot of my clients come from that. I, I, the first thing I did when I got back is I got a hold of a couple of my friends and I'm like, hey, my best friend is a police officer. Uh-huh. So I was like, girl, let me run you through this. Because uh-huh. I know she didn't have, but what's interesting is her PTS didn't come from her job. Okay. It came from her personal life. Same with me. Okay. So the military at first didn't, I, uh, after a while, I learned that I did have some trauma in the military, but yes. it wasn't as big as the, the personal trauma. Got it. So like I said, you get rid of the 10, the yep. things unfold. Um, so basically when I came back, I started working with uh, individuals like I worked with her and then I worked with some other people that I actually work with mm-hmm. and some, you know, licensed mental health counselors that are supervisors like me and they uh, worked through their stuff and they felt better and then they referred me to their cousins and their family <laughs> and their sister and their brother and I had one that's got like nine sisters. I'm like, well, just get them all in a room, you know. Yeah, it yeah. It didn't work out. I I ended up working with one of my supervisees who 
uh, his nephew had been through a traumatic event, and I, I did the whole family. I didn't mean to. Like, yeah. <laughs> I meant to work with him, and he's sure. 10. And then, like, his uncle, which is the individual that used to – he used to work for me as a supervisor. He doesn't work for me anymore. And then his wife was there, so they just kind of joined – they kind of matriculated the party, on the couch huh? and sat down and kind of went through the process. Okay. Uh, the big thing is, is I had a veteran – with this other process, they use a movie theater. Okay. And he welded all the doors shut. And I'm like, um, this isn't safe. You know, where where do you like to do this so we could set up the event? He's like, well, I have a man cave. I'm like, okay, let's go there. Yeah, yeah. So I started modifying it. Um, one thing is, you know, we bring in, we try to mesh the person into the process so they have sight, sound, smell because a lot of people, you know, I, I've had uh, firefighters and veterans who have had, even though they can't hear the movie when you run them through the process, they can't, they can still, everything's still there. Got it. You know, the sight sound separation is very present. Uh-huh. So trying to eliminate that by giving them a sound that they like and a smell that they like, okay. it, it it meshes them into that situation and calms them because the idea is they have to feel safe. Got it. You can't run it without so it. So this is very different from traditional therapies that, that have been used. How many people have you worked with? <laughs> 182 as of last night. 182. Since January. T- <laughs> <laughs> nice. And and what what are... What are some of your success stories? Do you have anybody that like, or any couple, any cases that stand out? Like, I do. Okay. I, I have a Marine vet who wasn't sleeping, who uh, he just, um, what had happened was, is the creator of the other process yes. referred this client to me. Oh. Because he couldn't get him on a scale of zero to 10, he couldn't get him under a six. Okay. And he asked me to, to see him. Okay. So I made some modifications and, and I worked with some things with him and he had three events overseas. Uh, just to tell you a little bit. He uh, he was standing watch and there was an IED that went off. He was watching uh, what they call a fob, fab or a fob. I'm non-military. I have yeah. no idea all these IED, <laughs> QRS, TUVs. Right. Yeah. So one of the trucks had exploded. and uh, That I get. His master sergeant. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it's called, the Marine Corps, so I apologize if I get that wrong. <laughs> he was his superior. Uh, he had um, – his his legs were taken. Oh, boy. And they were still on fire. Oh. And he had to run down there and get him on a stretcher and take him to the paramedic. And, you know, so all that – I mean, that's the worst smell in the world. Oh, I can't even imagine. So we had to replace that with lavender. Okay. So I just kind of I I like I was on Zoom with him and I, and he's in Phoenix, and I had him you know burn a lavender candle in front of me. Okay. Because it just kept coming up. But he was so he he'd been on every medication. Yeah. He'd been through the VA for two years. Yeah. How's he, he was, doing now? He actually works in Amazon Prime. He's actually okay. a supervisor. Wow. And he has a monogamous relationship. So. And he's sleeping at night. Yes. Every awesome. night. Well, Dr. Royster, thank you so much for being in the Genius Lab. I hope you've got one more day here, and, and I'm hoping that we can get one more podcast in before you leave, because I, 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 I've been talking about TRP and and what was ECT that is now... EMP. EMP. Right. 
Okay. Emotions not, management process. We are not shocking anyone. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What happened at the ECT? Apparently that's an initials for this certain kind of really horrid, torturous <laughs> shock therapy. And people were going, are you guys, you guys really doing this? And so we had to change it, but I've been talking about it in my, in my own podcast and, um, and it, it's totally changed my life and the life of the clients that I've worked with thus far. And it's really nice to have you here. You're like the, uh, the queen of TRP. And so uh, thanks for spending some time in the Genius Lab. We are actually doing some songs that will be used for Hear the Hope. And Dr. Royster is going to be the lead vocalist on a song for Hear the Hope that we're going to record this afternoon with CJ. And then we're also working on some music for a documentary that 220 is going to do. And uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. And I, I do watch listen to your show all the time. Well, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And uh, you know our saying, whatever's going on, keep looking up.